This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. one 800 913 and go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America's greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. So coming up, I want to uh, play an interview that Donald Trump did back in 1990. And I'm a little annoyed that I didn't see this, you know, a couple months ago or a year ago or ever until just the other day, but I still think it's worth playing. So we'll do that uh, probably in an hour, but I want to start here uh, and I'll just tell you, this is going to be a pretty short segment because I, I have nothing to say. And I know that's not good for a radio host who has three hours to fill here. Um, I, all I can say is I, I would murder someone. If this, if this happened, I don't know what I would do. I would have to, Ooh, Ooh, I just I get angry even even thinking of the possibility. This is out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, fourteen thirty seven. Law, but say they Tulsa mother who says she was blindsided when her daughter came home from a school trip with a birth control implant in her arm. The school says it was part of a sexual education session. Fox twenty three investigative reporter Ashley Lincoln found out why schools and clinics do not have to notify parents. Ashley. Shay, it's a bit jarring for parents to hear this information, but it's actually legal. I found that this is a program that picks up students from their school during school hours to take them to a clinic of their choice to then get information. And in some cases, they receive contraceptive. But I found that this is all legal and neither the school nor the clinic has to notify parents about this. But parents feel a different way. Parent Miracle Foster. I just did not expect this. And like I said, that was not a choice. Told me she thought she was sending her daughter on a sexual education field trip just to get information. My child went on a field trip, you know, and she came back with this in her arm. But Foster says she was outraged when she learned a clinic gave her daughter more than info by inserting a hormonal birth control implant into her daughter's arm. Now this is in her arm for three years. I talked to the principal at Langston Hughes Academy, where Foster's daughter attends. He told me he doesn't classify this outing as a field trip, but calls it an annual sex education session. Had I known that this field trip was for her to get that done, I would not have allowed her to go. He says the school works with Youth Services of Tulsa to conduct these classes. They allow students to leave campus to get more information with the rep from Youth Services. I found you. How is, how is any of that allowed? 
So it turns out, this report says, Title 10 federal guidelines allow youths as young as 12 to get birth control without parental consent. Now, I just want to be clear. Birth control is not just a condom. It can, in fact, be implanting this thing in your arm that releases estrogen uh, for three years. That also counts under the category of birth control. And that's what the 16-year-old got and someone as young as 12, whatever, could get all that stuff, whatever, the whole gamut of birth control without any parental consent. So the principal responded with this. This, I think, is what would make me want to punch him in the nose, this response. The parent gave her child permission to leave the school. Yeah, but not for that, right? You can't just be like, oh, well, listen, I mean, the mom said we could leave the school, so therefore anything we do off school grounds is game on. Under Title 10, once young people are at the clinic, they can make decisions on their own without parental consent. That's the next part. So it's like, listen, you gave us permission to leave the school. So, and, oh, and then we just dropped them off at this Planned Parenthood. And once they're in the Planned Parenthood, I, pff, nothing we can do. Our, pff, our hands are clean. I mean, I, pff, I, I don't know what they can make decisions on their own. It's, as you can understand, this situation involves a minor. And we do not release information about students. How crazy is that? So the 16-year-old is a minor, so the school can't talk about her, but is, a, is old enough to be dropped off at a Planned Parenthood, not technically a Planned Parenthood, but a Reproductive Health Services Center, basically a Planned Parenthood, dropped off at a Planned Parenthood uh, to get some uh, hormones uh, injected into her. Like, that's cool. That's fine. No, no. They're, right? So they're old enough for that. But still a minor. And you know, and the parents listening right now, it's just, you got it, you're not allowed to hand out an aspirin to a kid. Or an Advil. But you go ahead and get uh, get this birth control shot in you for uh, three years. Nevertheless, the student was well within their rights of Title 10, which is a federal guideline that provides reduced cost family planning services to person of all reproductive age. Unbelievable. So the school takes the kid drives them to a Planned Parenthood and then says, well, I mean, it's out of our hands now. Wow. And this mom had no idea that that's, and who would? You would think if you gave the school permission to take your kid off school property that the school is going to look after them, right? Look look over them, make sure, it's like they're responsible now. But the school's being like, saying like, oh no, I mean, once we drop them off there, nothing we can do. Unbelievable. Now, I I don't know the exact situation of this family, right? the relationship between the mom and daughter. I would hope my daughter, who doesn't exist, would feel comfortable enough to talk to us, her parents, or someone within the council of moms. Did you catch Bruce Feiler on Glenn's show the other day? Bruce Filer, uh, his previous book, two ago, I don't know, one of his old books, it's called Council of Dads. So he thought he was dying. So he reached out to his best male friends to who each had a different characteristic that he wanted uh, his kids to have. And he put them on the Council of Dads. And one of the things with the Council of Dads, because he didn't die, 
Uh, but the council of dads is still there so that if one of his kids doesn't feel comfortable enough going to him, they can go, the, the son can safely go to anyone in the council of dads. Now, the difference between the council of dads and the school is that the council of dads is someone that we, uh, like I, I have a council of dads that I trust. It's someone I trust. It's someone I bequeath power to. It's someone who, who fills me in on what's happening right on what advice they're giving on what my son is saying right like we can all do this as a team together which is very different from the school which is like ah i don't know dropped them off not we can do very very different no one on my council of dad would dads for my son would go around me on anything not like the school did with this mom anyway you, i don't this is why I, I recommend everyone have a council of dads and a council of moms, right? So if this daughter was doing something, didn't want to go to the mom, could go to the council of moms, talk about it with one of them, blah, 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 have a real conversation, keep it within uh, trusted sources. Listen, this is what happens when we, this happens when a lot of things happen, but this is what, when we do a lot of things, but this is what happens when we outsource sex education to the schools. Of course, this will happen. Um, more of this will happen with more responsibility we give to the government. We already give the government responsibility to educate our kids to feed our kids breakfast lunch some schools now dinner schools uh give kids backpacks on fridays so that they can eat over the weekend schools set up uh free breakfasts and lunches during summer just show up uh some during summertime some kids can't get to the school so they have uh, different schools have buses that drive around and drop off food at people's houses. Okay, so we have we have almost fully outsourced feeding our kids to the government, which just blows my mind. Government provides health care to our kids. Fifty percent of the kids in California are on Medi-Cal. It's Medicare Medicare for for kids. So half of kids in California have their government or their health care provided by the government. We're getting to the point where most people would think it's strange that parents should have say over what happens to their 12 year old daughter, right? The assumption is becoming that the government in the school is the de facto parent. And the parents are just there to, you know, like fill in the cracks of what the government doesn't do on its own. Wow. (laughs) So just, we'll take a break here, but, uh, I just good opportunity here to reiterate where we're going. Mm, I forget when I put, what my prediction was time-wise when I made this last. Maybe, I, think I probably said 10 years from now, a couple of years ago. So let's go seven or eight years from now. There will be public boarding schools. Now, there's not necessarily anything wrong with a boarding school, but with a public boarding school, there is. And the whole premise of a public boarding school, this is where kids stay overnight. The whole premise is going to be, well, it's not safe to send kids home. Too many kids have bad family situations, drug use, violence, uh, neighborhoods are too violent, so it's better, it's safer just to keep the kids in the school. Now, that's not actually a good thing, but it's going to be pushed because the unions want more union members to staff the school overnight. So that's where we're headed. Probably, I'm going to give it seven or eight years from now, we're going to have public boarding schools. And then it's just game on, right? I mean, then what, what's the, what is a parent then? What, the parents have like visiting hours or something like at the school? Like, but that's obviously where we're headed. one 93 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater.
on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Slider for Slider. Thanks for being here. Um, <clears throat> yeah, let's chat about this for a second. This is kind of interesting. So Thomas Groom is a uh, theology professor at Boston College. He came to America from Ireland 45 years ago. His cousin came here 15 years before that. And when Thomas got here, he uh, asked about the political system here. And his cousin said, oh, you're Catholic. We're Catholic. Catholics vote Democrat. So he's been voting Democrat ever since. It's that simple. But now Thomas is saying, well, hold on. Why are Catholics generally supporting people who support abortion? Like supporting politicians who support abortion? Uh, well, they're not anymore. Uh, as much. Uh, Clinton lost the Catholic vote by seven points, lost the white Catholic vote by 23 points. And there's a lot of Catholics in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. So this Catholic, Thomas, is he's talking about why, why so many Catholics voted for Trump. He says, for many traditional Catholic voters, Mrs. Clinton's unqualified support for abortion rights and Mr. Trump's opposition and promise to nominate anti-abortion Supreme Court justices were tipping points. When asked about abortion in the third presidential debate, Mrs. Clinton focused on the importance of a woman's right to choose, saying, I strongly support Roe v. Wade. But in making it appear as if she was viewing a wrenching moral decision only through a legal lens, she was losing many Catholic and evangelical voters. Mr. Trump, in contrast, offered a graphic description of, quote, ripping the baby out of the womb in the ninth month on the final day. Okay, so he goes on and he concludes that Democrats don't need to be against abortion. They just need to talk about it like it's a difficult thing and not just a legal issue, right? So that, so his suggestion is that Democrats talk about abortion as if it's a moral issue, as if it's a, a difficult decision as opposed to up oh, Roe v. Wade, law of the land, done. Which is pretty much how Hillary Clinton just handled it. So, for instance, Barack Obama, 2008, he said, those who diminish the moral element of the decision are not expressing the full reality of it, right? So so here's Obama, you know, struggling, like, mm, like there's a, oh, it's tough, right? Like, oh, you got to understand the, the, the whole picture. Oh, yeah. Now, in the end, he concludes that abortion should be legal, and has the exact same position. Do you remember the, uh, we played a video. I think we played it here. It's on YouTube. You can find it. A guy calls a plan, a bunch of Planned Parenthoods, right? He calls a Planned Parenthood 
and says, hi, I'd like to make a donation. And the lady's like, oh, that's wonderful. Great. Thank you so much. And he goes, yeah, can I make a donation specifically uh, to pay for abortions? And the lady's like, yeah, no problem. We can definitely do that. And he goes, okay, can I make it, actually, can I specifically earmark it for uh, the abortion uh, for a black baby? And and the person who picks up the phone is like, yeah, we no, no problem. Yeah, we can definitely, definitely do that. What's your credit card number? And and he goes, oh, well, real quick, before I give you that, like, I'm just really grateful that you can uh, you can earmark it towards aborting a black baby because there's way too many black people in America. And the lady goes, uh, uh, he's like, yeah, I actually I just had a son, and it's going to be harder for him to get into college with so many black people on affirmative action. So if we can eliminate some black people, uh, that'd be great. So I'd like to make a thousand dollar donation to Planned Parenthood to abort a black baby. And the per- person piece of the phone is like, um, okay, visa or American express and goes with, it's like, whoa, 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 what's the difference? What changed? What changed from, oh yeah, we'd love to take your donation. Oh yeah, sure. We can, uh, abort a black baby. No problem to, whoa, whoa. Like there's there's nothing in the end, nothing changed. The black baby's still gonna be aborted, so what's what's the difference? Why is it why is it any different for that woman who picked up the phone? So Barack Obama, all the, the all people who support us have the same they have the same position in the end as the guy who wants to pay for an abortion of a black person because there's too many black people. It's the same same position in the end kill him so this theology professor is saying well democrats i mean at least make it seem like you're struggling to come to your conclusion right at least obama was like oh you know it's tough it's tricky Mm." like at least he pretended like it was a morally difficult i'm struggling through the but hillary put it as just legal out roe v wade done end of story the law law land law the land which, by the way, it's terrible constitutional law, and we'll save that for another day. But um, I, th- I think it, it says a lot about us if this Catholic professor, theology professor, isn't coming to the conclusion that the Democrats need to change their opinion on this. He's saying, oh, no, no, you still come to the same conclusion. Just act like it's difficult. <clears throat> Just pretend like it's a hard, mm, you know, like, oh, I don't know. Pretend like you're struggling with it. How odd. Wouldn't you think this professor, Catholic, would be calling on Democrats and everyone to come to the right decision? How weird. He's not coming to the, he's not saying come to the right decision. He's saying, oh, no, stay with the wrong decision. But just pretend that it's difficult. Like, that is very, very strange. By the way, even this, like, like middle of the road, blech, uh, like, moderate nothing article from, uh, from this professor gets got ripped online by progressives who think that abortion is a sacred right and how dare you. Even though the theology guy's like, oh, no, it should still be allowed. 
right? He's just saying, if you want to win elections, at least pretend like it's a difficult thing, right? So he's so in the end, he still has, he still thinks it should be legal, but progressives still ripped him. Uh, nonetheless. So Michael Ware was Barack Obama's faith outreach coordinator. He wrote a book a couple months ago. I forget what it's called. And he's been critical of the Obama administration and, and the people around the president, the former president, who he said were illiterate when it comes to the Bible and who have open animosity towards Christians. And he said, reaching out to evangelicals doesn't mean you have to become pro-life. It just means you have to be not so in love with how pro-choice you are. Right? So instead of rubbing in your face, pro-choice, 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 just be like, oh, you know, like, yeah, I get it. I see what you put, you know, I'm, I'm still in the end. I'm pro-choice. Like, well, you know what? That's still not good enough because you're still pro-choice. Interesting. Uh, 1-888-933-93. All right, I want to come back with a story I haven't heard anyone talk about because there's a ton going on this week. But Saturdays, I think we can touch on some things that, uh, you know, we get some things that got missed. Um, a group of uh, Americans calling for something that's the opposite of what you would think they would want. Very interesting. We'll do that next. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later on the Blaze Radio Network. I think it's a theme actually of this hour. It's, it's that everything's backwards. All right, so we got the school bringing a kid to a Planned Parenthood to get uh, a birth control put into her arm for the next three years without parental consent. And that's federal law, by the way. Federal law says that. So it's not just a weird Oklahoma thing. Um, that's everywhere in the country. As young as 12, 12 year olds uh, without any parental consent. 12. So that's backwards, right? Because we got the government above the parent. It's backwards. Uh, we have this Catholic theology professor telling uh, uh, Democrats, now you can still be pro-choice, pro-abortion, but at least kind of pretend that it's hard for you. What? I got another one. The National LGBTQ Task Force. So I'm going to uh, read from the press release so you don't think I'm making this up. Uh, The background is that the Trump administration released to Congress a uh, report of the list of categories that they are planning to uh, ask in the 2020 census. All right, so we got to go through this whole thing again. So we got the 2020 census, and uh, this is like the, the, the draft of what categories of people they're going to put on the census right so this lgbt group uh, lgbtq group whatever is obsessed because gender identity and sexual orientation are not included in the census quote today the trump administration has taken yet another step to deny lgbtq people freedom justice and equity by choosing to exclude us from the 2020 census and American community survey. You're still being counted as a person. LGBTQ people are not counted on the census. Oh, again, you are as a 
human, like one, like there's there's one per. That's the point of the census is to count, right? There's one. You're per, like you're still counted. It's not like you're not like because you're gay. You're not even counted as a human. Like you're still counted as a human, just not categorized based on your sexual orientation and whatever. No data is collected on uh, sexual orientation or gender identity. They say. Okay, so how strange. So one of the leaders of the group says the decision to not listen, try to like the reason I stopped at the word freedom is because like, what a weird perverted definition of the word freedom. The government's not counting me based on who I like to sleep with. What? So one of the leaders says the decision to not compile a government database of gay people is another step to deny LGBTQ people freedom, justice, and equity. Wow, that's so weird. So their argument is information from these, I'm reading, information from these services help the government to enforce federal laws like the Violence Against Women Act and the Fair Housing Act and determine how to allocate resources like housing supports and food stamps. If the government doesn't know how many LGBTQ people live in a community, how can it do its job to ensure that we are getting fair and adequate access to the rights, protections, and services we need? Hmm. So, what the heck? If I had a few wishes, one of the principles that I, I would wish everyone would understand, it's a simple one. A government strong enough to give you everything you want is strong enough to take away everything you have. You would think that a group of people that was you know, recently discriminated against would desperately never want the government to ever have a database of them. Right? A Based on who's... Like 20 years ago. Oh my gosh, could you imagine? 20 years ago, if the federal government was like, oh, we want to make sure uh, we're going to count everyone who's gay and uh, we're going to tally everyone up based on their uh, who you want to sleep with. Like the gay people would be like, whoa, no way. No, no, no. Like I'm not telling you. Like what? But now it's like, how dare you not ask me? Wow. Isn't that interesting how it switched like that? Now, also worth noting, if this is if this were put on the census, Straight people would have to answer it under penalty of law. So this means that you would have to disclose your sexual identity to the United States government. Why would why would anyone want that? Now, keep in mind, when the census first started, it was there to count people. One, two, three, four, five. If you just literally just count, that's it. Okay, it's four people in this house. All right, on to the next house. One, two, three, three, it's seven total. Okay, just move it. Like that, that's, what it, that's what the census was, counting people. But then the number of questions grew and grew. Remember last week we talked about uh, race and how in 1929, if you were a Mexican, a Mexican-American, you were considered white. But then in the 1930 census, Mexican was put there as a distinct race. And the League of United Latin American Citizens, some Mexican-American organization, they protested to get Mexican off of the census. Their argument was that they are white. They're white and American. So don't classify us as anything different than that. So the next census, it was removed and it wasn't put on again until 1970. Why? Because back in 1930, the idea was that you had to be white in order to get all the rights of an American. So Mexican-Americans wanted to be considered white so that they could get all the rights of white people. Also, when we won the area that 
as I live in now, from Mexico. We promised the Mexican residents would be treated as full citizens. So Mexicans wanted to be known as white. Okay, so you would think that would be the end of it. But then, in the 1970s, 80s, they wanted to be known as non-white, as something different, Hispanic, whatever. Why? Well, now it's more profitable at this point to be a minority. I mean, that's, that's, why, that's why they're doing it. Why else would you otherwise? There used to be a premium on being in the majority, right? That's why the Mexican-Americans would be like, oh, no, we're definitely white. We're white. We're white. I don't know. You look, you look Mexican. Nope, nope, nope. I'm white. Are you sure you're not Hispanic? No, 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 no. White guy. But now it's, uh, okay, you uh, go ahead and you can put white on your census form. <laughs> no, I'm Hispanic. How the change? Now there's more of a premium being put on minority. Again, why did Elizabeth Warren claim she was Native American? What do we, right? Not too long ago, you would never put Native American on a form. Now it's off. Def- Look at me, I'm Native American. I get, I get, I'm going to get admitted, right? Right, Harvard's like, oh, look at this, our only tenured Native American uh, on our on our staff here. Isn't that wonderful, right? Because now there's a more of a priority and more of a premium uh, on being the minority. So it's the same with being gay here, right? Back when the government might discriminate against you because you were gay, no one wanted to be counted as a gay. But now you might get special privileges because you're gay. So now you're like, you can't, I can't wait to be counted. Totally backwards. And I, listen, I'm not making this up. And this is what the person said. The person's like, listen, there's all these government programs. And uh, how can they know? How can they enact these programs properly if they don't know the exact number of gay people? So I would like to be counted, please. Now, oh, backwards. People are advocating. They're fighting for more control over their lives by D.C. Again, a government that's big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take away everything you have. And how odd, just so recently... Those same people would have argued the government's taking everything from them, but now they're so happy and and desperate to have the government give them everything. Oh, gosh, that you are just setting yourself up. 1-888-900-3393. Look how every single thing, the three segments of this hour, everything totally backwards. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is... Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Part of the next generation of talk radio. This is Mike Slater. Thanks for being here. Um, so I guess we do have one more dumb controversy of the, the week to chat about here. We'll take a minute before we go play an interview from Donald Trump back in 1990, which is a lot of interesting things we can uh, we can gather from that. So we'll do that coming up. But um, so Time Magazine, Time Magazine, they're, they're one of these groups that's sprinting as quickly as possible to become like BuzzFeed. I don't, I don't know the appeal of that, but Time Magazine is just a bunch of hack reporters. Uh, Time Magazine has the reporter, the guy on inauguration day or the day after, was like, "Oh, President Trump got rid of the bust of Martin Luther King Jr." And then a couple hours later, it was like, "Oh, never mind. Someone was standing in front of it." <laughs> it's like, what? What do you? What? You didn't look harder. I, 
Anyway, so Time Magazine, they're a bunch of hacks. And then you got uh, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And apparently they have someone running their Twitter account who thinks they're very witty. So this is Time. Merriam-Webster defined the word complicit for Ivanka Trump. And the other day, complicit was trending because uh, Ivanka Trump told CBS News, quote, I don't know what it means to be complicit. Now, without any context, which no one provided... You would have, you'd think Ivanka said, oh, com, uh, complicit? I don't know. I've never heard that word before. I don't know what that means. Com, is it, is that, how do you pronounce it? Complicit? I don't, hmm? what do you, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Right? Like, that, that's, but that's not, isn't that what that says, right? Like, uh, here, uh, Merriam Webster defined complicit for Ivanka Trump. That's, I mean, it makes it seem as if she literally has never heard the word before. But that's not what she said. Here's the context. And notice the absurd question. Like, it's not even a, it's not a real question. It's just open-ended nothingness that leads into her using the word complicit. All right, 1441. We hear the phrase complicit, that Jared and Ivanka are complicit in what is happening to the White House can you just weigh in on how you feel about that? There have been articles, there have been parodies. What do you think about that, that accusation? If being complicit is wanting to, is wanting to be a force for good and to make a positive impact, then I'm complicit. I don't know that the critics who may say that of me if they found themselves in this very unique and unprecedented situation that I am now in, would do any differently than I'm doing. So I hope to make a positive impact. I don't know what it means to be um, complicit, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but you know, I hope time will prove that I have um, done a good job and much more importantly, that my father's administration is the success that I know it will be. Oh, uh, complicit is an adjective. It means, uh, like, like I heard that. So I read the article first and then I heard, no, 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 I take it back. I saw her say that first. Then I read the time article about it and I was like, wait, I don't. So I went back and I listened to that again and I was like, does she even say, I don't know what it means to be complicit. I had to watch, I had to listen to it a third time and I was like, oh yeah, I guess she does. But that's like the throwaway line. When she says, I don't know what it means to be complicit, that's not, that's after she already gave a very nice answer about, about what, about the, the super dumb question, <laughs> right? Are you being complicit? The obvious answer is, what do you mean? What do you mean complicit? Complicit in what? That's, that's the obvious answer to that. Are you being complicit? Complicit in what? What are you talking about? And she, cause she's sweet. She said, oh, I, you know, I don't know what it means to be complicit. What do you? As in, what are you talking about? <laughs> Crazy. But again, the media spins it as if she's never heard that word before. Like she's a total idiot. <laughs> this is stupid. Um, all right, coming up next. Had an interesting, on my local show the other day, had an interesting couple minutes. Because I played this interview from 1990 that we're going to play here in a minute. Then we... I looked up at the TV and the president, our president, was meeting with the king of Jordan. 
And he called the king of Jordan uh, a great warrior. The king of Jordan is actually known as the warrior king. I said, oh, wow, the timing of that is perfect. Why, why did he call, why did Trump bring, make the point in this little press conference, though they're doing a joint, you know, little thing. Why did, why did he make the point that here, that he's a warrior king? And what, what does that mean, really? I think that says a lot about President Trump, what he values, what he looks at, how he looks at the world. And I want to play this, um, this interview coming up next. We'll bring all this together. There's something really interesting that Trump does if you watch his old interviews. And this is an interview I've never seen before until just the other day. But I've seen old interviews of him on Oprah, and I'm sure you've seen some of these before, too. It's very interesting to watch how he acts in these interviews. He's very subtle. He's very calm. He he's down here. It's very, very relaxed, very casual, very just like, I don't even really want to be here. That's that kind of, it's very uh, reluctant. Eh, you know, I don't, I don't, I could take it or leave it. It doesn't, huh? Where does that come from? And is he still like that today? Do you still see that? I don't know. You know, some people they, today, they think of Trump as you know, a firebrand out there, crazy, blah, blah. You look at the, the Trump from a couple of decades ago and he's super casual. How do you, how do we juxtapose those two things? All right. We're going to bring all that together coming next and I'll sh- share a story about Christopher Columbus uh, to bring it the historical backing he needs. Christopher Columbus. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, let me just, I'll throw it to you. When you think Christopher Columbus, what do you think? Uh, discover the new world, but like the person himself, when you think Christopher Columbus, what do you imagine? What do you envision? Uh, and, and what do you think about his family? Paint a picture in your mind of what you think Christopher Columbus's family was like. How wealthy, privileged, all that stuff. Okay, all this will make sense next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On The Blaze Radio Network. <laughs> 